0: Today, Jason and I continue our chat about the 10 things that your competitors are likely not doing. In this podcast, we also go on and debate these elements, touching on Netflix and other platforms like those, and the techniques I use at the Hong Kong Visa Centre to differentiate ourselves from our competition and ensure that our customers have an amazing customer service experience. You're listening to Digital Bacon FM.
1: Yeah. Oh, good morning, Mr.
0: Barnes. Hello there, Mr. Blake. How
1: are you? I have some things lined up for you. You said five minutes, but it was actually four minutes and nine seconds. So I wasn't quite ready for you, but here we go. I have an introduction for you because I know you're a man who likes an introduction. Are you ready?
0: Let's rewind.
1: Ready. It's four minutes past ten, traveling across to Hong Kong. We are, we are joined on the line by the one, the only, Mr. Stephen Barnes. How's that?
0: That was fantastic. You really put a lot of thought and effort into that, and I'm highly appreciative of your refined endeavors. Sir.
1: Because you are a wise man, this is what is especially for you. Hang on a minute
0: you know the force is strong within you may
1: the force be with you you will succeed yes how was that
0: well, that's fantastic <laughs> couldn't ask for anything more sir
1: and because it's monday and it's hong kong cha ching how's it going in the marketing world
0: uh uh well in the intelligent content marketing world that's yeah, the so one. i'm good it's been a while since we uh since we had a chance to connect too so, long uh, Yeah, we got Easter out of the way, I think, and then I was ill and you were ill. And uh, anyway, we're here now and we're talking about, if you recall, how to build a monopoly from nothing with no money invested. Yes. Using a business model, which uh, we've couched as intelligent content marketing, where essentially what you do is uh, utilize your ability to parlay your expertise and know how to help answer questions, help solve problems. They're in create relationships, uh, sell the jobs to be done, which mm-hmm. the other party uh, needs taken care of, uh, hence they're there in your orbit, uh, and build a monopoly uh, in that very particular niche uh, while you're doing it. So you may recall uh, we have our PowerPoint presentation, and we've been working our way through the various uh, sections of the uh, Monopoly Planner content as I've couched it. Uh, which is 10 modules, 36 chapters, and uh, today we're talking or we're continuing to talk about uh, the importance of creating relationships in the connection economy mm. and uh, how you can, in the process, uh, steal a march on your competitors and also, indeed, uh, differentiate yourself uh, from uh, your competition and, in many ways, create a new market landscape because of the nature of your offering.
1: Okay, so I have a question for you on stealing a march on your competitors. If you have a look at what's mm. happening now with uh, television, it's gone digital. Netflix were the ones that were pretty much first to market with that style of pay as you go once a month, you can, and then you can find lots of great content on their platform. But I see a lot of them are doing it now. You've got Showmax, you've got loads of others which offer a very similar uh, price based monthly fee what happens when there is only a limited amount of content and i suppose the content is unlimited and your people will be uh you know they they want to stick with hbo or whichever manufacturer or whatever producer of content there is uh, is is there a, a chance that the market becomes saturated with that and how many do you actually yeah, subscribe to
0: absolutely absolutely yeah. so the whole idea is that you know in due course what happens is that can the content Will ultimately go on to be sort of like the, the equivalency of the dial tone on the telephone. Mm. Um, if you've got the if the content's already produced uh, and if it's readily accessible, and if you are um, able to distribute, you know, a, a, a very large collection, large library of content through your particular offering, uh, without doing it exclusively. Uh, there will be some other counterparty that has got a, an equally large collection of contents that um, uh, may not include, you know, the titles that are in the other part, mm. content pool, but sufficiently robust enough for you to want to swim in that pool of material to the extent that, you know, you're prepared to pay to access it. And similarly, um, if you really want to access the other party's content, you will be prepared to access that as well. So in the final analysis, what you get is, sort of ultimate scale of distribution of this content for the most cost-effective pricing um, uh, that's ultimately available. Uh, So, yeah, eventually there's going to be sort of blanket saturation of of certain types of content, but that's not the game, right? The game in intelligent content marketing is not to... Um, have a particular monopoly in one type of content, just for having you know content say that you're going to access via subscription uh, what you 're doing is you 're using that content to create relationships uh, and uh, ad- address a particular need that the marketplace has. And that is the reason why you're producing the content that you have and why you'll never get saturation in that niche because you will define the parameters and the edges of that niche and it's actionable content, right? Mm. It's, the, it's designed to solve a problem. Netflix isn't designed to solve a problem but for entertainment. But, you know, on the connection economy with connection, ubiquitous connections um, – there's only so much attention to go around and one can argue that in the connection economy, the only thing of any redeeming value is indeed attention mm. uh, because uh, that's a scarce, a scarce and finite resource, whereas um, material to uh, consume your attention is uh, is uh, ubiquitous and that is, in fact, by no means uh, scarce.
1: Yeah, one has to ask, will it be the death of television? And I say, you know, I doubt it because uh, television wasn't the death of radio and Uh, the iPad isn't the death of people buying books?
0: Well, you can consume content in a million different sorts of ways now, right? Mm. Um, And, you know, the television as a means to distribute content, uh, you know, still uh, has got a significantly entrenched industrial economy broadcast network that uh, is not going to die overnight just because we've got ubiquitous connections. Uh, And the vested interests in, uh, the vested economic interests in that pre-existing infrastructures that's going to continue to sort of spin its wheels as long as it possibly can to continue to get value out of it it's going to get a diminishing return on investment of course because there are now so many other ways to uh, distribute your message and television has always been ultimately about advertising right Mm. so the thing about advertising is that ultimately what you're doing is you're stealing people's attention Yep. um and usually stealing it in the middle of something that you found enjoyable well there's a lot of other ways to consume that content these days without having your attention stolen you know middle middle or you know partial way through mm. uh, so it then kind of begs the question why would you want to consume the material using the medium of, of the television because the advertising just gets in the way uh, so inevitably you know like um uh, you know, we've seen the sort of derogation of communication modalities. Inevitably, um, television will sort of denigrate to a particular point, but it will always play a role in the spectrum of communication technologies. In fact, in the future, we may see a renaissance of it in the same ways we've seen kind of a renaissance of radio. Because um, when television came into its own, radio really sort of became. Uh, secondary sort of communication technology until really the car became ubiquitous and the car radio was invented. Mm. Uh, you know, at that point, the radio really took off. But uh, when television came into its own, ultimately, uh, the radio did suffer somewhat. But um, these days, we see that radios undergone a bit of a renaissance. And you could say that, like, podcasting is, is, is just an offspin mm. uh, of, um, uh, of radio. Uh, rather it being broadcast it's narrow, narrow cast but still you know radio has had a renaissance and it may well be that television will have a renaissance too mm.
1: now on your but slide not what it was on your slide of creating relationships you've listed 10 things that your competitors likely don't do
0: yeah so this is sort of in an effort to try to allow you to differentiate yourself from uh, from everything else that's sort of out there and at the same time lay down um, sort of a mosaic of different sort of service components, if you want, or experience manifestations, if you want, uh, that just give you or your proposition, a sort of a look and feel that uh, that could be said to be modern market rather than, you know, just a reflection of how the industrial economy is invariably made, you know, those solutions available to you. Um, so, yeah, as a, as a connection economy organization, it might well be that uh, they are not obsessing, I mean, truly obsessing about the, how their products and services make their customers feel. Um, I think we've discussed this before, uh, you know, previously, what we, what we're always doing at the Hong Kong Visa Center is we're, we're genuinely looking to try to make an impression on the client in some small way. Um, knowing that, you know, a little effort can have, you know, significant impact and we never, we never seek to rest on our laurels. And uh, a couple of examples here is, you know, we have these mini chocolate sort of gifts called Kagi yep. uh, that we deliver to our customers, which, yeah, we've talked about. Uh, and then this is this, this other overarching uh, uh, approach to, you know, our relationships with customers, which is whenever there's a hint of a, from a client that they are dissatisfied or we, you know, could be perceived as sort of a negative against what we're trying to accomplish. You know, then we jump all over it and we own it, and you know, and we communicate properly and we make the customer uh, genuinely feel like they, you know, are being taken seriously. And, uh, uh, but, you know, that's, that's absolutely vital to us. And so, you know, that's part and parcel of our service experience. And so we obsess about it um you know what uh, what customer service experience comes to mind to any time in the last let's say 3 months jason where you came away from it and you felt my goodness me those guys you know really made an effort
1: well i can i can tell you a sweet and sour story about a book that i ordered from amazon i was very mm-hmm. i was very excited to receive this book and it arrived in south africa at 2 p.m. on a friday afternoon Uh, It took three days to get it from the States to Johannesburg uh, using an international company. Uh, It arrived and then it got stuck in some sort of book traffic jam, if that's the, the right way to describe it. I phoned them on Monday morning because Amazon just said, right, it's now there. You need to deal directly with the courier company. So I got hold of them on Monday. And the frustration started with being put on hold and then listening to this company boasting about having 18,000 employees in 540 different jurisdictions and then it took 18 minutes to answer the first phone
0: call unbelievable so unbelievable.
1: my first question to the person who asked the phone who uh, answered the phone i said what's the point of boasting <coughs> how many people you employ when none of them are answering the bloody telephone And he said, yeah, he said, well, we are a bit busy and we've got lots of problems to deal with. So I said, well, I've actually called your problem line. And because it's taking so long, it means you've got lots of problems. So stop boasting about how good your company is, rather just answer the bloody phone. Anyway, so yeah. Uh, We had that conversation and then he said, well, your, your, your parcel was stuck in customs. It'll be released today. I can promise you that you'll have it in your hands tomorrow. So I said, well, that's all I really wanted was to hear somebody on the phone saying your problem has been taken care of. You get your book tomorrow. That didn't happen. It didn't happen the day after that. And it didn't happen the day after that. And I phoned every single day. And then Easter came along and they didn't work on Friday or Saturday or Sunday or Monday. On Tuesday, I phoned and said, right, I've had enough. So I I decided I didn't want to phone and get put on hold for 12 to 15 minutes. So I phoned the local branch and the lady there was outstanding. She said, right, let me see if I can help you sort this out. So she got hold of Johannesburg and said, where's the book? And they sent it to the wrong place even after that. And it took two more days to get it. So I got hold of Amazon and said, you know, I don't mind buying from you. You guys are fantastic. Your follow-up is brilliant. And, but this is the problem. You restrict my choices in who I can use for courier services. And when they don't deliver, it reflects badly on you. And the guy came back mm-hmm. and he said, you're absolutely right. He said, "Here is some credit for you to get yourself some books. We will take it up directly with Aramax. He said it's unacceptable that you're waiting on the phone for them to answer, and it's unacceptable He said things happen Think, and I, I I acknowledge that that shit does happen. Amazon resolved it perfectly. I'm still waiting for Aramax yeah so yeah. A, a sweet and sour story of the biggest retailer in the world being run by the richest man in the world, and their customer service takes. It happens almost instantaneously, and they try and fix it as much as they can. But what do you do when they when 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 they sell a product and then they rely on a courier company, but they don't give you a choice? If they if they said to well, me, "Would it, you like to use this one, this one, or this one?" I would then not use the one that was used poorly.
0: Indeed, indeed. But uh, I think the the, the the sort of the greater point in your example there, Jason, was that. Given how once Amazon knew what the problem was, they dealt with you. Mm. Um, the example being, look, you know, here's some credit for your account. We're so sorry you had to suffer this nonsense. It's clear that you know they, as Bezos has always said that they do, they've obsessed about the products and services and how it makes your customers feel, right? Because, Absolutely. Because um, at this point, you're, you're 100% on board with Amazon. And bearing in mind that you know, one might argue that They actually have a monopoly position in terms of being able to retail stuff via the web and get it in your hands quickly at a cost-effective price. You know, given that they are in a quasi-monopoly, you know, situation, if you will, interesting how they've effected a positive act of discretion and kept, you know, uh, Amazon's good uh, name up through Mm -hmm. the way that they have treated you. Well, Um, here's the right. Interesting, you know. Mm -hmm. Here's the
1: rub. I I like instant gratification. The the book that I wanted wasn't available on Kindle, so I had to get the original one. And I took the title of the book and I put it into Google and I tried to find if there was a copy available in South Africa. There wasn't one. So here I am looking for a book, trying to get it as quickly as possible, and the only place that I can find it is at the world's biggest retailer. So it wasn't as if I thought, well, I'm only going to deal with Amazon for a sense of loyalty. uh, I've bought lots and lots of things from them. But my first and foremost thing was, I want the book, I want it now. Where's the closest place I can find it? And it happened to be on the other side of the bloody world. So Amazon have captured the market by just having everything available when you want it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always been their mission, right?
1: Yeah. And as, right. you, as you said, mm-hmm. you know yeah. they 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 um they obsess about doing it properly, and when they don't do it properly, they take it on the chin. Um, and yeah, you know, I, as you said in point two, you help people buy in and not just mm. buy. So I've bought into yeah. the concept of they do it right. When things go wrong, they make it right.
0: Well, that's right. You're just taking the word straight out of my mouth. In terms of moving on with this. Um, Slide that we're dealing with: the ten things your competitors likely do not do. Yeah, that's a fantastic example of how they've helped you buy in and belong. You know, they want you to feel part of the Amazon tribe, uh, and they respect you for that because they understand, uh, at the to the nth inf- level of detail, you know, the lifetime value of a customer. Mm. So the loss of a lifetime customer, uh, the value of a lifetime customer versus the you know the cost of making you feel happy there and then by accrediting your account with some dough uh trinkets over the cover the uh versus the cost of the of a lost customer over a lifetime. Sure. Um and so they're being very smart about it.
1: And and you know it wasn't um, it wasn't about the couple of dollars to buy a couple of extra books. It was more that I got a response and that somebody yeah. gave a shit.
0: <laughs> And isn't it is not is isn't it interesting when we're talking about attention being the um commodity that really only carries any value. Well From a customer service perspective, it's not hard. Ultimately, if you've got marginal costs of of delivering goods and services because you're you're an e-commerce company, Mm. it's not actually very hard to invest in real human beings to answer telephones so that you know they can speak to other human beings and transact transact at the normal human being level of communication. (laughs) It's not hard, is it? It's only it's only these industrial economy behemoths who feel that customer service is just a necessary you know add on or Frustration or complication of of selling their product, uh, that you end up with the Telstra and the um, you know uh, what well, well, telcom type uh, you know shenanigans that go on with customer service in so-called first world countries.
1: What, what I what I don't understand is why these companies are huge. These companies have people who manage people. They also manage experiences. They don't actually look at how their business runs from a customer's perspective. So. I can bet you that not one of their people who follow up on this sort of stuff will actually have phoned their own hotline to see what happens. You know, you should have some sort of automated system. When you've been on that phone for three minutes, somebody comes back and says, We're sorry to keep you waiting. We'll we'll answer your phone call as soon as we possibly can. In all of their recorded messages, there wasn't one single apology or one. Or one thing to say you're number 32 in the queue, please be patient with us, or leave your number and we'll phone you back. All it was was, we are this big, if you'd like to buy any of our products, get hold of this or get hold of that. So it was all sales, and this was where people were phoning to find out where their stuff was. So you could have a message for Uh, your sales department. You could have a message for your complaints department and they gear those messages to each of those experiences that their customers are phoning about. So here I was being marketed to to continue buying with them and all I wanted was, sorry.
0: Yeah, well, you know, um, as you shift from the industrial economy to the connection economy and nobody really understands what's going on, ultimately you end up with a situation sort of like, where, 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 where it's a sort of a management equivalency of the loon is being in charge of the asylum, right
1: yeah well as you as you say in point number four, they question how they can do it better, and I wonder if they question themselves.
0: Well, yeah, um, uh, isn't it interesting how once you get locked in a particular way of doing something that gives you um, a kind of a predictable return? in terms Mm -hmm. of the experience that comes back uh, and the sort of the, the the money that uh, ultimately comes spinning off of it. Mm -hmm. Isn't it funny that once you get into that groove, you feel, well, I can coast this one now. I'm not really, Deal with the fact that uh, all sort of living organisms, if you will, ultimately degrade over time. The, um, so if you're not ultimately questioning how you can do it better, then you're ex- you know you're you're on a to nothing.
1: Well, here here's the question that for them to have grown to the size that they are, they must have done something well and properly, to have got the support that they needed to grow. It wasn't somebody said, "I've got a great idea. Here's a load of money. Let's go and do this and 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 expand." They've they've delivered they've provided good customer service, they've received investment, and they've grown. So at some point, they had it right. And do you think it's scale that makes them get it wrong?
0: Yeah, I mean, all businesses ultimately change the nature and tenor of what they're all about um, as they grow. Um, You know, the driving force of a startup type you know, motivation mantra or, uh, you know, sort of orientation of the management team towards a particular sort of experience that they want to deliver into the world, Mm. Uh, you know, 10, 15 years into it, notwithstanding good intentions. um, And an institution emerges and that institution gets populated with people that are used to operating in a certain way. The universities tell them they have to do things in a certain way. The management uh, programs tell them they have to do things in a certain way. Their prior jobs told them they have to do things in a certain way. The entire, entire hierarchy, hierarchy and the architecture of the organizations that they use to further themselves professionally are all geared ultimately you know, in the same way. They might have different tweaks and different sort of twists to them um but ultimately you know they they produce an animal of a certain kind and that animal of that particular kind is expected to produce you know an animal of a particular entity and that that animal that does get produced is going to have the qualities that uh, reflect uh, the dna of the of the management thinking so you know once these organizations get entrenched in that fashion uh, it becomes sort of you know an exercise in running the business for mathematical purposes it's things like, you know, re- return on shareholder value and, you know, sort of internal rate of return as allocated, the allocation of the, the profits that are being generated in those sort of hierarchies and those ecosystems. Mm. Um, they, they, they're, they're, you know, it's like the old oil tankers. Um, um, uh, sort of you know scenario where it takes a, a very long time for a tanker to actually turn around, and uh, uh, sometimes if it doesn't turn around in time, there'll be an accident. And uh, I think you know as we move from the industrial to the connection, the, the large organisations are just carrying on doing what they're doing, but you know. Uh, it's all sort of ultimately being frittered away underneath whilst they are not really paying any attention to it
1: mm. i'll tell you another quirky thing that happened to me It actually happened this morning now um i usually set my alarm and i'll go to sleep on my phone uh, i've got into the habit now of putting my phone onto to silent when i go to sleep because i don't want to hear the ping of sms's and whatsapp's and the and the like um and my life is probably a little different from others in that most of my good friends are in Hong Kong. So there's a, a six-hour time difference. So if somebody says hello to me at 10 a.m. in the morning in Hong Kong, not really thinking about it, it's 4 o'clock my side, a.m. Um, so yeah. there's you know there's that. Um, but I got an SMS from Standard Bank this morning and they're in South Africa, and they sent it at 3.32 this morning to say, we've read... Hi, we've recently experienced technical issues on our online mobile banking at ATM systems. Everything's been sorted. We sincerely apologize for the frustration it may have caused you. I tell you, it's fucking frustrating getting an SMS at 3.30 in the morning from a local bank.
0: Yes. Yeah, especially uh, and, if you know, if if your old your dear grandma in the, in the Scottish Hebrides is uh, is on her last legs, and you're, uh, you're you're waiting for news as to you know whether she's pa- popped her clogs or not, and the three thirty ping you get in the morning, it's yeah. quite reasonable for you to anticipate something more important than what Standard Bank have to say about their circumstances.
1: And and you would have think this would have been a, a a communication that was generated by a PR firm or generated by the in-house marketing team. And they will have said, right, set this thing to go off at 7.30 a.m. <laughs> Somebody's programmed it because that's how these things work. It's not one guy sitting on a phone typing in people's SMS numbers. They've done a blanket SMS out to all of their clients. They just didn't think about what time to send it. Daft. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, well, like I say, the, uh, the, the loonies are in charge of the sale sometimes. Yes. And… Um- so, yeah, go on. So we're working our way through 10 things that your competitors are likely not doing. So yes. we'll perhaps just rush rush through to the end now. So we got a question how you can do it better. Um, they're not listening twice as much as they talk. Isn't it amazing what you can learn if you just shut your trap and uh, uh, just cl- clue into what's being said to you about something? when When people are articulating stuff to you, you can learn a hell of a lot right if you if you're actually in receive mode rather than transmit mode mm. and here's another one um keeping your promises doing what you say you're going to do okay how many times how many times have you had uh dealings with with businesses where they say they're going to do something and then they simply don't do it and then the negative impact that 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 has on you know your perception of what they're all about
1: yeah yeah it does keeping your promises
0: either. is such a su- such a such a simple thing to do i mean I'll give you give you a really simple example and uh i might have discussed this with you before i certainly have raised this uh this example previously because it still sticks with me um about ten years or so ago when I was uh when my World was going to hell in a handbasket, uh, I had to buy end up buying a, a, a relatively cheap and cheerful car uh, for my wife and ultimately the rest of the family to um to use as I shut down my big gas guzzling Mercedes and other things we so couldn't afford to run them anymore. So we ended up buying a a second-hand Mitsubishi cult from a local Mitsubishi dealer. Mm. Um, anyway, as it turned out, it was a fantastic, fantastic investment down the years. Uh, but uh, the only thing that I truly remember about this uh, Mitsubishi cult these days is the um, day that I bought it, after I'd signed the paperwork and written the check and I was out in the um, yard, you know, sort of, you know, looking around the thing one more time before I, I got into drive off, uh, I realized that one of the hubcaps, which was made out of a sort of a, a Mitsubishi round plastic type thing, mm. was was cracked. Um and it just ruined the complete effect on the car because this car was in great shape. But for this ridiculous little, you know, mud flap type thing. Mm. Uh, no, no hub cap, I mean not mud flap. Mm. Um and uh the guy says, to, when, I, when, when, I, uh, when, I, when I noticed it, I said to him, So, look at that. And he just looked at me and said, Oh, no problem. He said, We'll get you another one and I'll give you a call and you can drive in and it'll fit it for you. So that's 10, 10 and a half years ago. I'm still waiting for that guy to call me, Jason.
1: <laughs> and now that it didn't, 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 I, you, didn't you pass that car on to your daughter?
0: Uh, yeah, and she drove it for two or three years, and it got scrapped finally uh, about six months ago when uh, it had a, a bit of a breakdown, and, and my daughter, who was then responsible for its financial upkeep, needed. Uh, she wasn't sure whether she could afford what what, what ultimately was going to be a, uh, a potentially costly repair, so she decided to take the um, uh, take the sort of the, the money that comes with uh, giving it to a scrapyard and uh, and solving that problem in one fell swoop. What are the, uh, but yeah, so yeah, that's moved on. But I still remember. I'm still waiting for this guy to call me about the upcap. He's probably dead by now. You, you to know, make a claim on the estate. It's
1: it's funny. Lawyers have very quirky senses of humour. My good friends here, Lance and Bianca. Mm. Um, <laughs> on, on on weekends when we we had too many silly silly things, we used to find old newspapers. And La- Lance, being rather quirky, uh, used to phone. People who were advertising stuff, and they would, he would say, "I'm phoning about the fridge," and they would say, "What are you talking about?" He says, "Well, you got a fridge advertised, and they, we sold that thing two years ago." Oh, so it's it's not available. <laughs> Do you have another fridge you want to sell?
0: Yeah. So, um, OK, um, I think we're almost done with our um, 10 things. Playing the uh, long game. your promises. Oh, yeah. Playing the long game. That's something that I learned uh, well when I started the Hong Kong Visa Center. Absolutely play the long game. Every, everything I do now, I've got no idea when I can realistic, realistically expect, expect a cash return on the investment that I'm making. Um, but that doesn't matter because I know that what I'm doing uh, is, is, is is creating a situation where I can deliver value to people who need it when they need it in, a, in an ultimately scalable fashion. And that takes a long time. Um, and uh, it's the same when it comes to creating relationships. You know, mm. uh, the nature of our content is such that it will deliver value indefinitely to anybody who's got a need for it and whenever they call upon it they can consume it every time you know they consume it we're uh, we're, we're we've owned a little bit more of their psyche and a little bit of more their of their attention and so you know you'd be amazed at, uh, at how um how long a time can pass between people first arriving on our website perhaps through a google search and then ultimately striking you know writing their first check for us to do something for them, it can be a couple of years in uh, in some instances. Mm. So you know, we play the long game in everything that we do. But you know, like we, you and I discussed, I think uh, two or three sessions ago, uh, the experience that I had with the, the food, the meal, uh, meal preparation, health, you know, uh, mm. uh, fitness, health and fitness enterprise. They uh, they don't understand the idea of the long game. Have you They're heard anything playing, from them might be by a the media way? Game. No, no, and, you know, <laughs> no surprises there. That, so, so, so my question there is, where, where is the CEO in all of this? Mm. Where, is, where is this guy? Because, you know, he knew me by all accounts. He'd attended one of my public talks previously. Um, uh, he had a sale there of a decent wedge of, uh, wedge of dough and he had a, a free video being made from someone who's, you know, got the resources to produce something uh, remarkable for him for nothing.
1: Well, it's obviously… Free
0: advertising. Obviously, no. point
1: number 10, he missed completely, which was to care more.
0: Clearly not. Yes, Clearly man. not.
1: Mr. Barnes, Clearly has been not. an absolute pleasure. We shall catch up again on Friday, good sir. It's the elections here on Wednesday, public holiday in South Africa. Who knows what's going to happen on that day. But
0: Good luck in all of that, sir.
1: Wait, we have for you a little bit of a hasta la vista.
0: There you go. Digital Bacon FM. I hope you enjoyed today's talk so join us next time to find out how to make all roads lead to Rome.